Welcome to Sports Cannabis. This is your host, Jai Marzaria, and we're powered by Treehouse Solution. Cannabis and sports have played a role in each other's lives from the get-go. Surrounded in a cloud of misunderstanding and stigma, today's sports and athletes are making waves in the cannabis industry. Every day presents a new opportunity to break barriers, advocate for cannabis, and use your voice. Let's shift the perception and remember to hashtag break the stigma. Understanding how to take care of your taxes and getting your business affairs in order can be a tedious task. Often understanding what are the next steps, financially planning for the future, and handling your year ends can be a nightmare. Instatax has been serving the greater Toronto area for over 25 years from the same location, helping individuals and businesses take care of all their accounting needs. Are you a small or a medium-sized business? What about a personal-sized business? Or maybe you're just looking for yourself. Instatax can help take care of all your needs today. Contact them for more information at www.insta-tax.com. Sports Cannabis is a platform for cannabis and athletes to break barriers, spark meaningful conversation, and break the stigma. Today, athletes, pro athletes, as well as now sporting leagues are looking to cannabis in one way or another. For years, pro athletes haven't been able to access a plant that could help alleviate the pressures of a rigorous training schedule, demanding hours and injuries. The traditional methods consisted of a cocktail of remedies that had both short-term and long-term side effects that are proven to be detrimental to these athletes and their careers. Today we have the unique opportunity and pleasure of speaking with professional ultra-marathon runner and cannabis activist Avery Collins. Thanks for joining us on Sports Cannabis. I'm excited to chat with you about your ultra-marathon running career, your training, recovery, and nutrition, the FKT challenge you recently took on, and as well, all things cannabis. But before we jump into it all, how have you been keeping and where are you joining us from today? Oh, I am in Silverton, Colorado, which is uh, also home, home base, uh, and uh, my my training grounds. And have you been keeping despite everything that's going on around the world? Oh, yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, you know, there's obviously been some downsides to uh, COVID, such as um, I, I had to bail on visiting my grandparents for the holiday, which was something I was looking forward to. Um, but, you know, altogether, it's been, you know, honestly, it's been great. Uh, one unique thing that came with COVID was uh, earlier this year when um, COVID first became I guess the thing and and we were uh, on lockdown in March and April um, even through May here in Silverton uh, the town was closed to anyone that was not a local and it was a serious hefty fine if you were um, caught in town whether that be running skiing or whatever it may be if you weren't from town or you had a license plate that was from out of town um, you you got a, uh, a ticket pretty much instantly um, and basically what that provided for locals or for myself and my girlfriend Sabrina was empty trails empty ski lines on the mountains it was um, actually pretty amazing uh, we got to enjoy our piece of paradise 100% to ourselves as locals for, for a couple months um, not that things really get too crazy here to begin with but um yeah i think you know ultimately there was like some blessings in disguise there and um as far as our you know our day-to-day routine in our life it hasn't really affected it much as we're 
naturally we've always i guess been socially distanced um don't get me wrong i like to go hang out with my friends and grab beers and there's been some changes there and i definitely haven't seen my friends as much as i typically would but um Altogether, I, I mean, life has been pretty great and, and fairly normal for us, and, and I'm definitely grateful for that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's been that silver lining where, like you said, uh, it's provided an ample opportunity to train, but in conditions that are not, you know, congested with a lot of different tourists or whatever it may be, and you just get some nice isolation training in. You know, to get the ball rolling, I think we need to start the conversation with where it all really started with you, and that's running. When did you ultimately fall in love with running and what was that draw that hooked you compared to any other sport? Uh, I think it was, I mean, it's pretty instantaneous and I've always said there's kind of a process to, to how running is involved in your life. And now for me, it's a, it's a passion. I think it takes time to become a passion, but um, I got into running in college and um, I would say basically the first day I was, um, obsessive over it um and i think that's where it starts is an obsession and, and the obsession there for me was um the need to get out and run every single day it, although it wasn't far um i was obsessed with the feeling um that it gave me and i i mean i i remember so vividly to this day my very first run it was uh i was in college i was living at my grandparents place at the time um, and uh, we lived in a little neighborhood and it was about a mile and a half to the entrance to the neighborhood. So I ran to the end of the neighborhood and this, keep in mind, this was the first run I had really done in years. I, I went on runs with my parents as a kid, just like for fun and in high school for fun, but that was very, very rare. Um, so I pushed myself pretty hard. I remember getting to the end of the neighborhood and just feeling incredibly exhausted and realizing like I still have to go all the way back home, which at the time, a mile and a half back home was a long way. And um, by the time I got home, I was just, I, I think the pain and, and just like kind of the, the suffering that had to be endured was just uh, intoxicating. And um, I had never had that feeling before. Um, I'd always been, I played basketball growing up and I lifted a lot of weights, but I don't think either one of those quite do what uh, endurance running does where um, you kind of, where you hit a wall and then you have no choice but to continue to push through it. Um, whereas you know, going to the gym and with lifting weights, it's just this constant um, the resting that basically matches the amount of exertion you put into each rep like you almost duplicate that with the same amount of rest mm -hmm. and I think I think that's what I loved so much about the running was just like I don't know I mean I, I guess you could rest but I just for me it was more about continuing to push and endure um so it was uh an, an immediate obsession for me um and and then in time it uh has become a passion that I'm um, pretty healthy with and while I do run a lot I also uh partake in you know other sports and activities that uh keep me keep me sane when I can't uh run as much mm -hmm. and we're talking about you know running as it started out for you you're saying that it started off in these small bouts but today you're known as a professional ultra marathon runner when did you make that transition to getting to long distance and really pushing yourself to a point where you're like this is this is it for me this is I know this is what I want to do uh, about eight months into running I had done 
uh, three or four half marathons and kind of caught wind through YouTube of ultra running and, and there were some various athletes on YouTube that had channels and it kind of excited me because I thought for instance, one of the first races I heard of was Western States 100, and um, I saw I saw people were running 100 miles, and I just thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. And then, in addition to that, I just uh, I knew how terribly difficult it was going to be, um, and I think that was something that I really wanted. Uh, so after about eight months, I signed up for um, it was a double marathon in Virginia called the. Um, Blue Ridge Parkway Marathon and they just or Blue Ridge Mountain Marathon and uh, they have a they have a double option that you could do um, then and now um, and uh, yeah it was it was as hard as I thought it was going to be and that was only 50 miles at the time um, I think and once again to go back to what got me started after finishing that first 50 miler I can't explain the amount of pain I was in um, my knee was incredibly swollen um, it was probably still to this day one of the most painful finishes I've ever had granted it was a road race which I don't do much of anymore but um it was just so incredibly intoxicating I mean I got back that night after the race when we got back to the house I just remember thinking uh what was next like what what's next even though I was still sitting there in excruciating pain uh I was already kind of thinking well what what can I do next that will be the next challenge um and you're talking about this hunger right this appetite that you have for the next challenge Often when you're running, it's broken into a lot of different segments, a lot of different portions. You know, I'm a big cyclist, and for me, um, the segments that I love the most is when I'm climbing. For me, it just gives me a different rush than maybe going down a hill or just going on a flat. But for you, what is that portion of running that you love the most? Is it climbing? Is it the descent? Uh, you know, honestly, I think every single time I go out, there's always this element of surprise, almost no matter what. I mean, we all, any runner of any type, whether you're training for a 5K or a 100 miler, I think, I think we all have went out the door and felt like complete crap. And like, we really probably don't feel like running, but then there's always this, it always seems like there's this element of surprise where you there's this breakthrough at some point in the run and like whether it's two minutes of good running or 20 or an hour mm-hmm. like so, you're one way or another your body always figures it out and and there's always like there's always something left there in the tank and um i i think that's that's what it what it is for me is like i know that it, what i can't say that like you know when i go out i look forward to the uphill or the downhill or the summit or the technical because it's all enjoyable to me and there's all and 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 obviously part of that joy is also just the suffer of whatever it is um but there's always a breakthrough on every run and i think that's what we look forward to whether we're whether we consciously or subconsciously know that and so we're talking about these races and one thing that you've alluded to is you know after that first race you took on you came back and you had suffered, you know, different injuries or different situations that would take a lot of time to rehab and get you back to, you know, 100%, but you were hooked instantly. Can you talk to us about what some of that recovery process looked like? You know, that's evolved over time and I've become uh, a pretty avid user of yoga and functional strength. Um, 
not with weights. Uh, the last two years, I've been pretty much weightless and just do body weight strength training. Um, pretty specifically, uh, like just like hyper focused on um, glute and core strength. Mm-hmm. And um, I found that, uh, well, in addition to that, um, uh, split boarding or snowboarding and cycling is also played a huge role in recovery and um typically after an event uh the first one to two weeks of quote unquote rest week um the reason why i say that is because um i'm always maintaining movement it's just drastically decreased volume um so typically the first one to two weeks depending on the season i'm either um if it's in the summer i'll uh rock climb or mountain bike uh those those following weeks and and those are even activities that i use as recovery uh on a week-to-week basis and then in the winter i'll use split boarding um up up a mountain as my uh recovery effort Uh, i find that split boarding is pretty a great way uh to get out and like get the blood flowing and it's really quite difficult to get the heart rate very high so it's a really easy aerobic effort in which most of the time my heart rate stays below 100 so i can ultimately like i can justify it as a recovery effort um Mm -hmm. because i'm not not accelerating my heart rate very much especially when we're talking about like relative to when i'm running and very quickly, if we were to just jump into that, you know, you're talking about heart rates. It's it's become something where a lot of coaches are preaching, you know, train within different zones. So then that way you can stay energized uh, efficiently throughout the race. You're able to, you know, run at an optimal pace. How important is it for you to train within different heart rates? And is this something that you advocate quite a bit as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Sabrina and I do, we, we run our own little coaching business called power couple coaching. And that's, um, I would say that's probably the key factor, uh, with the running, uh, or our coaching is, um, if, if someone runs five days a week, I would say three to four days of the week, uh, we prefer them to be at most high zone two, Um, and then once to twice a week doing a workout that's, um, typically in, uh, like a tempo effort zone, uh, and then one, one run that is, and you know, obviously this depends on the athlete and where they're at in their training, but, uh, one workout a week where they're, um, at lactate threshold pace or above or, or other words, like 160 beats per minute or higher. Um, and for our, for my own personal training, uh, it's, it's no different. The same thing I, I, uh, preach, I also practice and, um, I would say, so I, I typically run in the winter, it's a bit different, but let's just say, you know, spring through fall, I run six to seven days a week. And I would say five days of the week, those are really easy efforts. Um, and then two days a week, uh, relatively harder efforts. And we're talking about you practicing what you're preaching. And this is also a conversation where we're talking about cannabis and how it's coming to the forefront. You know, something that you've done quite openly is advocate for cannabis and you've done it for quite a long time. When was cannabis ultimately introduced to your life? And then when did you start to use it for recovery and relief? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, So I started, I mean, not that I would endorse this. I started using cannabis socially in high school. Um, I wouldn't say I was using it for any type of, um, you know, for sports or anything. It was, you know, it was rare. But once I got into college, I started using it more for, uh, for, for running purposes. And I found that, 
uh, it was most useful for me at least on uh, easy days like it was it forced me into a, uh, a slower gear uh, it helps me calm down it's just uh, I, I I typically have a, a pretty high amount of energy um, and it, I think like a lot of runners, it's easy to go out the door and just just go straight to fifth gear. Um, and that's exactly like that's exactly what I preach not to do, especially as an ultra runner. You have to have this massive zone one, zone two base and gear. And the only way to do that is to run in that gear. Um, so I found that 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 is exactly what cannabis worked worked best for me for was was slowing things down. And, and on top of that, not to not to sound cliche, but uh, I just I'm more in tune and aware of what's going on uh, within my body. And, and I've had I've obviously had this conversation before with many people, but especially with um, uh, one of my old training partners, uh, Devin, we we always talked about it, it was, it's just kind of funny. The the people who are not advocates of cannabis and are against it oftentimes say that, um, you know, it's it's a, it, it enhances uh, it, it's you know one way or another the, the claim is their claim that it's a it's a physical enhancer. However, um, one thing that I've noticed uh, is it actually really it helps me realize more and pinpoints um, places of uh, possible injury. Mm -hmm. um, so say say my Achilles is really tender. I would say it, it makes that that tenderness of whatever it is, say it is the Achilles, way more acute and, and, and way more noticeable. And I think ultimately that's also why it's so great is helps me realize what I should or shouldn't be doing. It's like, well, if my hamstring is really hurting, I should probably consider just taking it easy and running flat today and not overstressing a particular muscle group. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think that's one of the larger benefits of it as well. Now we're talking about, you know, the use of cannabis and how you're implementing it into your training. You know, for a lot of athletes, when they think of cannabis, they're, you know, they're worried about the misconceptions or they may just be really OCD as to what they're putting into their body. Was there ever a mental barrier that you had to cross for using cannabis specific for your training? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, it's, especially as far as, um, I think most most athletes' concern is the is THC, and I mean, obviously, most recently, WADA took THC off of the banned substance list for uh, in tra for training use, at least. And I know some athletes still are concerned with, well, what if I don't pass a drug test on race day? Um, they actually test for, um, well, at least by WADA standards, they test for 150 nanograms per milliliter of blood, which is um, basically, they're testing for in-race in use, so I always suggest to any cannabis user, um, if, if you take a, a week is more than enough time to, to take off of any um, THC use before an event, um, but even honestly just three days or four days is, is typically plenty. Obviously, it, it varies person to person, it, it varies based on your metabolism and the fat content in your body, but um, you know, if you want to ultimately be really safe, then uh, a week before competition is the best bet. In a lot of these different sports, cannabis is often frowned upon not only by sponsors, but also by peers and, you know, different coaches. How was it accepted when you were openly advocating for cannabis amongst your other uh, ultra marathon runners? That's a really interesting question because, uh, 
I hate to say it, and 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 you know, unfortunately, I would imagine the the listener for this podcast is probably already a cannabis advocate, but majority majority of ultra runners are cannabis users, whether they're in a legal or illegal state. It's not it's not this like it's not really taboo it's not like legitimately majority of ultra runners use cannabis now um there's just for whatever reason um people feel like they need to hide it uh whether that be because you know maybe they have friends that they think are against it um i directly speaking in the state that i know best in colorado I don't really know anyone that doesn't use cannabis. Uh, <laughs> just about everybody does, and 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 that that and when I say that, I don't mean just the stereotypical like the person that I um, typically would hang out with, you know, a, a, a athlete type that is a cannabis user. I'm talking about everybody, not not just the stereotype that often is most common you know the the stoner type but it doesn't matter what your your job is i mean maybe if you do get drug tested you aren't a cannabis user and in that case still plenty of people do um it's just not it's not as uncommon as i think some people may think it is although that's even changing um but what i found when i first became uh, an advocate and more outspoken uh eight years ago now um it was very instantly very difficult to get sponsors um and now in the last couple of years that wada has changed the rules more states are legalizing it's becoming more normalized i'm starting to see a shift in um how specifically uh shoe companies apparel companies and and, and the the larger ones are no longer really frowning uh frowning down on it um obviously i ran for a couple of years ran for innovate uh this past year i was an ambassador for solomon and um uh, currently currently working on a shoe deal right now um and it, i've just found that it's now it's not really a barrier for me anymore um don't get me wrong there's still are uh companies and i have no problem going ahead and voicing it like nike um who can be quite hypocritical and say that they they simply can't sponsor someone like me who's an advocate for cannabis use but um they're cool with doping their athletes um so a bit of uh yeah sponsoring uh artists that have uh cannabis affiliations yeah yeah it's it's just it it, uh, you know it's it's incredibly hypocritical i mean it's just it's like it's almost kind of infuriating me thinking about it right now but it's it's a lot less of a barrier today as i'm uh you know currently working out a good contract with the shoe company uh, as we speak and um that was just not possible um five six years ago uh every all shoe companies were uninterested and my main um well, back then I can't even say income source. I was more or less just getting races paid for and travel, et cetera. Um, but back then it was only, I was kind of limited to cannabis sponsors um, or companies that um, didn't frown upon it, which 
typically weren't ones that really had much of a budget to help. Um, but now today that now that things have progressed, um, that's that's not really as much of a problem anymore as it shouldn't be, because like I said, a large, 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 large portion of specifically the ultra running community uses cannabis. And that goes for the elites as well. I would I would never call out any, but I, I'll be the first to tell you I have ran with plenty, plenty, plenty of elite ultra marathoners. I mean, definitely some of the best in the world and they are cannabis users. So what do you think is the biggest misconception of cannabis? Why do you think it gets a really negative rap or has gotten a negative rap thus far? I, I mean, I suppose it would just bad. I mean, it's just been the stigma that's been attached with it ever since um, the war on drugs. And like, that's the truth of the matter um, mm -hmm. is that I think that created a stigma so long ago that um, that only criminals use um, cannabis, pot, weed, like that's that's what criminals use. And uh, I think we're finally getting to the point where like you realize that you don't have to be uh, a criminal to use pot. Like you can just be a normal person. Um, and obviously the crowd that I, I run with, pun intended, um, you know, these people obviously think the same way I do. So like that's not you know, that's not something we often think about, but I guess if I, if I were to point at something, it's just, it's something that's been around for decades. Uh, the stigma that, you know, yeah. low lives, low lives use, use cannabis, which is just, just not the case. Yeah. And it's also the fact that it either makes you slow or lazy or complacent. And the fact is that you're an ultra marathon runner and you're using it while you're being active or while you're going out there for healing and recovery. Have you ever found that, you know, you're going through these vicious cycles or these crazy regiment days where you're getting up early in the morning, you're training till whatever hour at night, that sometimes it's incredibly hard to shut off. And have you ever found that CBD really helps you kind of flip that switch and get you a good night's sleep? Oh, Jay, a hundred percent. I mean, if it, especially, especially with long days, I'll just use the most recent example after the, um, my backbone trail FKT this past weekend, um, we got back to the hotel and I was all out of edibles and, uh, and I was pretty, pretty upset with myself for not stocking up before, uh, before the FKT was done. And luckily a buddy of mine went to the dispensary and, um, I'll tell you right now, it would have been really hard to fall asleep. Uh, and, and, and on top of that, uh, as a lot of endurance athletes know, like directly after an event like that, as much as, as much as you would like to think that I myself or, or any endurance athlete would be super hungry after being that active for, for 10 hours, it's just not the case. Like your stomach is just an absolute fits. Mm -hmm. Um, and instantly I had, um, I, I smoked a joint, which which I would like to preface that with. I, I typically only smoke uh, during recovery periods and not during big training blocks. Um, but yeah, directly after a race, like I just, I love the taste of flour. So I, I had a joint and um, instantly my stomach felt better and I was able to eat. We had ordered a bunch of food and I took about three bites and, and was done. And then I was like, I just really, really, really need some I, I, I need either edibles or a joint or something. And sure enough, after I smoked, I could eat again. I could fall asleep. I, well, I fell right asleep after we were done eating, but like none of like <laughs> that is, it is terribly difficult to eat and also terribly difficult to sleep after a full day of running because the muscles are just throbbing. Um, and then, like I said, yeah, my stomach was just in a fit.
Yeah, and you're talking about, you know, you're smoking a joint to really help ease your stomach, also get you that, you know, sleep that you need in order to fuel for the next day. You know, what is your favorite mode of consumption and why? Uh, oh, gosh, I love them all. <laughs> Honestly, my favorite, although it's done the least, is joints. Um, I just, I, I guess... There's a couple of things there. One, it stems from just the social aspect of when I was in high school and college and like joints were just kind of like how you socially smoked um, smoked cannabis. And now, now I still love it. Like it's just the taste, everything about it. Um, although it's it's definitely what I, I do the least of. I say I, what I do the most of would be edibles. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I run for uh, an incredible company called uh, quick um their, their parent company is medically correct but they make a product called quick um and it's uh it's a fast acting uh edible so the onset or the onset time for uh the psych the psychoactive effects to kick in only take about 15 to 30 minutes and that's that would probably be the the preferred method um because i can just have a couple edibles before i go out for a run and they'll kick in after a couple miles um and then obviously it has no effect on my lungs Mm -hmm. uh and yeah uh i mean that would be from a thc standpoint and then from a cbd standpoint i've always been a big proponent of um salves and creams and and not necessarily because i'm like a a huge firm believer that they help recovery although i i think you know one way or another they do but for me it's just more about the sensation um after after rubbing um a quick salve on my legs it's just it i guess i guess the way i would describe it is it makes my legs high you know it 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 brings the legs down it it just calms them down quite a bit and whether it is recovering me faster or not is almost irrelevant for me it's just more of the sensation of just not having the more of the painful feeling definitely and you know today we were talking about how you have joined with cannabis sponsors and partners that are helping you fuel your races and it's really come full circle i was hoping that maybe you could talk a little bit more about your partnership with athletic brewing and how that really came to fruition oh of course yeah um so i partnered with athletic uh about a year ago now and they originally had reached out to me and honestly it kind of came as a no-brainer uh i do drink uh, a lot of beer and uh, what used to be a lot of uh alcoholic beer and it really wasn't until i started running for athletic that i realized the benefits of non-alcoholic beer now now i actually very rarely drink regular beer i found that just taking an edible or two and then um drinking an a beer non-alcoholic beer is just it has amplified my recovery it is in the mornings is the biggest difference i, I typically wake up at about 5 a.m i just noticed that my energy is uh, i have far more energy with far less coffee i used to drink about three to five cups of coffee a day whereas now one is plenty like once oftentimes i want to even finish one wow. in the morning more and i i without a doubt without a question i can attribute that to um pretty much eliminating alcohol mm-hmm. out of my diet um and you know i really have i actually have athletic to thank for that um and now i've just now i'm a huge proponent of their beer and i think what they're doing is incredible because 
they're they're offering a product that a lot of the bigger beer companies just simply don't offer um and that is craft like true craft non-alcoholic beer you know a whole range of ipas whole range of stouts and lagers and golden ales it's just they're providing um something that i i'm pretty sure there's just not much out there um and it's kind of good to see to see a company move in that direction i think i think there's an extremely large market for it um even outside of people that are athletes i have a good friend of mine granted he is an athlete but he's been sober for 13 years and um he drinks athletic beer because you know he likes the taste of beer but he knows he can't have alcohol Mm -hmm. one thing that i picked up off of a lot of vlogs that i watched that you have on youtube is that you talk about you know this passion that you have for ultra marathon running and to be able to see to where you got a lot of people may not understand that journey and the sacrifices that you've made to get there i was hoping that you could touch on you know some of the sacrifices that you've had to take on to be able to get to where you're at today yeah i think one one instance that just stands out greater than any other would be uh when I first got into ultra running, I was kind of bouncing around uh, the East Coast, trying to find a place to settle and call home that that would be adequate for training. And ultimately, I was trying to get closer to Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and I found myself living in Charlotte. Uh, I was uh, working at a running store, Charlotte Running Company. And um, unfortunately, living in a uh, apartment that was just far above my budget and what I could afford and um, I was uh, I had a roommate um, keep bear in mind that this apartment was a one bedroom and he had already he was already living there so the room was his so I my room was uh, I kid you not in the dining room which was just a 10 by 10 square no walls no no doors and no privacy um, and my bed was a cot and uh, I like I when I say there were weeks where I didn't have a dime to my name. Like I, I actually mean that. There were um, a couple instances on weekends where I didn't really have enough money to even um, afford to run. And what I mean by that was like, I couldn't afford food. Um, so running just wasn't an option because I knew I'd be too hungry to eat. Um, and uh, like, I think that was a pretty big, um, pretty big part of like, while it only lasted for about four months, um, I think it kind of shaped who I was and what I was willing to do to get where I wanted to be. Um, and ultimately I obviously ended up out here in Colorado, but, uh, I think that was just like such an important, uh, stepping stone. And, uh, I mean, beyond that, I think, you know, one of the more broad sacrifices is just, uh, less, less time with, uh, friends and less time with family because, uh, you're just, I mean, I spend majority of my time running or recovering and, uh, you know, I can't so much indulge in the things that I think, uh, a non-endurance athlete does, which is, you know, on every Sunday going, going to the bar and watching football with your friends and going out on Saturday nights and going shopping and like all this, all the, I don't know, I guess what you would say, what normal people do. I mean, mm-hmm. 
I suppose those are just some of the some of the sacrifices uh, that I have made, and that you know now it's not really so much a sacrifice. It's just a it's just a life choice. Um, it's not like I really care about those things all that much. Yeah, um, and some of those sacrifices that you've made, or those life choices that you've made, you know, have led you to be able to achieve amazing feats that you know people could only dream about. And one of those amazing feats that you recently completed was the FKT which I must say congratulations you know I'm I'm just amazed at what you were able to conquer but before we get into that I was hoping you could really quickly break down what the FKT was and why it was so important for you to take on this particular challenge yeah of course uh so the FKT or fastest no time um was it's called the backbone trail it's just a point-to-point -point traverse across the Santa Monica Mountains near near Malibu. Also, I mean, it's majority of the run is ran through the Malibu Creek State Park. It's 68 miles with approximately 13,000 feet of climbing on a majority of single track trail and a little bit of double track trail. Um, and, and, you know, I guess th this was an FKT I've been looking at for a long time. Actually, was looking at it before FKTs were really much of a thing. And I just always thought it'd be really neat to to, to run the full run the full trail um i first found out about the trail five or six years ago now mm -hmm. um i've been out to that area to run that trail now um nearly every year for the last five or six years uh with the exception of one year um so i've i've really grown to like trail running out there but you know really the main main cause for me to go out there this year uh was just uh my my running season did not go to plan, not in the slightest. Uh, I spent most of my summer training for Nolan's 14. It's a, it's a 100-mile traverse across 14 14ers in the Sawatch Mountain Range. And um, it's definitely a really difficult endeavor, and uh, I was in great shape. I uh, went out to do the FKT and unfortunately had a bout of uh, incredibly ter terrible uh uh, altitude sickness about halfway through and uh, had to drop out of the run and um, about 11 weeks later or so uh, I went to one of the only 100 mile races that was put on this year and that was the I'm Tough 100 in Idaho and you know kind of similar similar story slightly different I just uh, started the race and what I thought was going to be a great race for me uh, from the start I had just burning 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 and inflamed IT bands on both sides and I pushed through to mile 50 and uh, just became pretty much unbearable and actually starting it was starting to get quite dangerous so I dropped out of the race and um, that's the first time uh, in my running career period ever since I've started running period that I've dropped out of uh, two we'll just go ahead and call them races two races back to back um, let alone it's the first time I've dropped in a race in a, in a long time period mm -hmm. uh, so it just you know things kind of felt like they were just like crumbling and falling apart and um, got back on the bandwagon and started training again and uh, decided that I was just going to do everything I could to end the year on a positive note and uh, the back run trail ended up being what that positive note was that's incredible. So you were talking about running, you know, and going for this final uh, FKT. And it was because, you know, it was kind of like this itch that you had. You had gone through two other races. You weren't able to complete them the way that you usually have. And it was, you know, due to different injuries and different things that you were dealing with. Something that you've talked about quite a bit um, and that you preach quite a bit is just staying mentally positive and in that space. 
How is that something that you do and tell yourself, you know, I need to keep going no matter what? What is that that fuels you? Oh, oh that's that's really tough. Um, well, you know, I think one one bonus is that Sabrina, uh, my girlfriend, is just incredibly positive um, and uh, oftentimes can believe in, in, in what I am capable of, perhaps more than I can. And um, that, that helps tremendously. Um, and then I think, you know, it's, I'm not going to shy away from saying it. I think, I think it's in all of us, but I, I think part of it is ego driven is just this, um, this, I know, I know what I'm capable of and I feel the need to prove that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, that's kind of also what led me towards, towards doing that. Um, I mean, I can't, I can't sit here and say that I'm, you know, I'm always positive. I have plenty, plenty of down days and, uh, plenty of pr- pretty, pretty i mean i i i, I want to say negative days but ne- more more like negative moments um and i f- i just think that that just training in general or running in general um split boarding and snowboarding those are just things that keep me occupied and um perhaps just uh there i i use them as uh tools to to ignore um, negative thoughts or ignore uh, previous what I'll just go ahead and call failures um, and and just keep moving forward I don't I don't think I'm I don't think I'm consciously or subconsciously trying to stay positive but um, what I am trying to do is stay busy and, and, and continue to see what I am capable of and I think that that leads towards more positive thoughts and not be getting down myself so much yeah and like you alluded to you have an incredible team around you right with your girlfriend being this amazing positive support system for you and then you having different outlets to really balance your lifestyle you know we're looking back at all of the challenges that you've taken on all the different races that you've taken on i've been able to see some of them on your vlog what was the hardest challenge that you've endured to date oh um <laughs> i mean if we're, if we're i guess i'll just kind of answer both i mean I, th- I think as far as a challenge outside of running um i think the greatest challenge was uh i dealt with a pretty serious back injury uh two two winters ago now um and uh i i really thought that uh i mean it was so serious i was questioning every every last decision i had made over the past six seven years um i i was i was out of running for about six months on the nose um and uh it was all caused through running well, I got into a pretty serious car accident uh, where Sprint and I got hit by a semi truck, and uh, then two weeks after that, I ran Tour de Jean, a 200-mile race in Italy, and um, basically directly after that race was when I um, started to realize I was having some serious back pains and back problems to the point that sleeping hurt, walking hurt, running was simply not an option, um, and after just months and months of trying everything uh nothing was really helping or working and um uh miraculously i i decided to pay a visit to uh, an old friend and pt of mine uh steve warfel and um he (laughs) after just a couple sessions managed to get things back in place and um that's that actually has played pretty 
big role in my recovery. And I actually, I mean, to this day, I have to see him uh, once or twice a month or I just end up getting injured again. I think it's just the, the realization I've come to is just uh, after, uh, with the amount of running I have done and hope to continue to do, and after getting in such a serious car accident, um, it, just PT work is just something I have to do now. It's something I need to stay healthy. Um, but I would say the six months was one of the greatest mental challenges I've ever had. Um, I was pretty, pretty distraught most of the winter. Uh, and pretty depressed. Uh, I don't think I have ever, ever had the type of emotions I did uh, during that six month bout. And then I would say as, as far as a physical challenge, um, Tour de Jean without a doubt was the greatest physical challenge I have ever taken on. And obviously it was also a mental challenge as well, running 200 miles to the Italian Alps. Um, it's just a, it's a really long event. I mean, even if you're, if you're winning the event, the event you, you're still out there for what is typically 72 hours. Um, for me, that was that was 85 hours, and uh, I think one of the greater challenges that came with that race was it was not going my way, not in the slightest. I was having an absolutely terrible, terrible race, um, and continued on and, and obviously finished. But um, finishing something that big and that difficult when nothing is going your way is is uh, it's pretty hard. <laughs> It's also incredible what you were able to endure and the fact that you were able to mentally push through that and persevere and to continue just to finish it, you know, and have to change up your, your goal set and your mindset to, you know, allow you to perform is just, it's something that's, uh, you know, not a lot of people can do. You know, other athletes, you know, that are listening to today's show, you know, they're following in your footsteps. They may be wanting to follow a similar mission and also advocate for cannabis. You know, if you could say something to them, what would it be? Um, you know, I, I guess this wouldn't be so can cannabis related, but I, I think it is really important, especially in the sport. I think there's been a, a bit of a shift um, I, I wouldn't say I particularly like, and that would be, you know, if you're, if you're coming up in the sport to, you know, unless if you're bordering, uh, so a dangerous injury, um, like always finish it, it, like finishing things you start, I think are, is super important. And that goes for races. Uh, I think and that goes for elite runners too. I think a lot of the elite runners today, and when I say a lot, I mean majority of them, um, have no problem quitting a race because they're not winning. And I think that's complete bullshit. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think, and this is just my personal opinion, I'm not saying I'm right or wrong, but um, I think for the character of the sport, uh, I think it's good to, to finish what you start. Thank you, Avery Collins, for joining us on Sports Cannabis today. Follow him on Instagram, Running High. That's R-U-N-N-I-N-H-I-G-H today to keep up with his latest races, initiatives, and be sure to check him out on his YouTube channel as well. There's some amazing content for you guys all to take a look at. Thank you for joining us on Sports Cannabis, brought to you by Trio Solution. Follow our Instagram channel at Sports Cannabis, Trio Solution. And make sure to keep up with the latest updates on our website at www.treehousesolution.com. Our next episode, it will be incredible. We have another cannabis athlete joining us, and it's an interview you definitely do not want to miss. Make sure you like, subscribe, and follow us everywhere. Stay safe and be well, sports cannabis family. And remember to hashtag break the stigma and join the movement. Something about the way you go.
song I don't ever want